You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, your number one source for everything hunting, shooting, fishing, and a little bit of politics. Sit back and relax as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today. You'll learn valuable tips and tricks that you can use on your next trip into the field to make you a more successful hunter, shooter, and fisherman. Now here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Jason Selms, and this is episode 16, Gun Crime with MLC, Shooters and Fishers Party, Mr. Robert Borzak. Uh, you guys know I interviewed Robert in, uh, I think it was June or July 2011 for episode four of the Australian Hunting Podcast. Uh, Robert was actually on 2UE on legal matters with Tim Shaw uh, several weeks ago in late January 2012. Uh, a lot of people called in to support firearms ownership and law-abiding citizens in Australia. Uh, We all know, especially in New South Wales, over the last probably six to 12 months, we've had uh, quite a number of drive-by shootings, uh, people getting attacked, uh, violence, and uh, unfortunately, the anti-gun lobby, the Greens, have come out uh, attacking firearms ownership in Australia like they always do. Unfortunately, they have no uh, idea how to push the government to make decisions on making uh, gun-violent crimes uh, and pushing the courts to hand down lengthy, tough sentences on people committing crimes with firearms. The easy option is to target licensed, law-abiding shooters, which they've been doing for years. Now, uh, the funny thing about that is, uh, back in 1996, uh, there was a long-arm, semi-automatic long-arms, uh, pump-action long-arms, semi-automatic rifles, etc., were all banned in 96 after the Port Arthur shootings uh, down in Tasmania. Now, in 2002, they had a, a, a gun buyback for anything over 38 cal uh, handguns. And uh, I sat there the other day, mind-boggled that the interesting part about that is I was thinking, we've had all these buybacks, we've had all these you know, uh, laws come into effect to restrict firearms ownership from licensed law-abiding citizens. Now, I was kind of scratching my head because I started to think, wow, wow, uh, how is that recently... How's that been working out for New South Wales recently? And uh, obviously there's a little bit of sarcasm there, but it's the truth. I mean, it's not been working at all. I mean, it literally is a joke. Uh, Licensed law-abiding citizens are being blamed for shootings, yet it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Now the anti-gun lobby, the Coalition for Gun Control, which is, I don't even know how many people, is it two? With no membership, no place to call, are getting the anti-gun lobby are getting all this media time and... You know, obviously it was banning, it was the banning of those higher calibre uh, handguns and pistols. And now all of a sudden the anti-gun lobby, well now we've got to get rid of semi-automatic uh, handguns. That's the problem. Where does it end? Really? Really guys, where does it end? Uh, clearly these laws are not working, not working at all. Uh, over the past few weeks too, uh, Bob Cutter from the Australian Party uh, released his uh, firearms policy and um, at first I, I looked at it and I thought, I know, I know the slow and steady steps which is what we're looking for and I applaud Bob Cutter for having um, in essence the balls to bring out a policy uh, to support firearm ownership in Australia and to finally after 16 long years of law-abiding citizens almost being vilified and blamed for what happened in Port Arthur. 
that someone actually has the kahunas to uh, bring back firearms laws and legislation that uh, benefit a long-standing tradition of firearms ownership and sports shooting in Australia. I know we don't have it in the Constitution like the US does, but finally somebody after 16 years, I mean, it, it's it, it's epic, let's just say the least, to even recommend these types of law changes is just absolutely fantastic. And uh, I applaud Bob Catter for... Uh, having the uh, tenacity to uh, recommend them, which is to bring back low-powered semi-automatic 22s, to set up a fish and game uh, council in Queensland, uh, to bring back semi-automatic and pump-action shotguns in line with, say, a Category A or B licence. People laugh when they say, oh, these guns are banned. I mean, that's hogwash. Uh, for people that know me and shoot with me at Cecil Park, they know I've got a pump-action Remington 870 and a uh, Browning Maxxis uh, semi-automatic shotgun for clay target shooting. And I'm also a D-class uh, feral control animal vertebrae pest remover. I have a business. And, you know, there's if you want them, they're out there to get. So to say that they're banned and most people can't get them is a little bit of... Yeah, a misprint and a misinformation. I mean, if you've got the genuine reason, you can get them and they're still available just like any Category A or B firearm. Uh, so, you know, and the same with pistol. If you're a part of a metallic silhouette club, you can get, you know, higher than 38 caliber pistols as well. It's just, you know, they make you go through the hoops. And, you know, if you want to jump through the hoops, you jump through the hoops. If you don't, well, and you're not really interested in doing something like that, that's fine too. But to say they're not available is a bit of a bit of a, a misstatement. So, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to getting talking to Robert. Robert did a fantastic job during this uh, interview with Tim Shaw. All the, all the people that called in, I wish my phone had actually had gone off so I could have... Uh, called up but I had a notification in there my phone was on silent at the time so but otherwise I would have called up myself but the guys that did call up you just used did a great job and uh, I think Samantha Lee apparently called in after the Robert Borzak interview uh, whether that was planned or not well that's debatable but uh, you know that you know uh, the law-abiding citizens Robert the guys that called up did a fantastic job of representing our sport and uh, I wanted to thank them and Robert for uh, making the points on his show that uh, then you know shooters and nurses they're firemen, they're police, they're, you know, carpenters, they're, you know, plumbers, they're government workers, you know, we're everywhere and anywhere and we need to, uh, you know, keep pushing the sport forward, keep buying firearms because we are literally at the best time we've ever been in um, since 2000, sorry, 1996, I should say. Um, the amount of licenses that are coming through, the amount of firearms that are being purchased and, uh, you know, the Greens idea to limit shooters to three guns is just totally absurd and that's not going to hold any water. Uh, they're just going to try it on, but it's, it's going to be rejected by not only not only shooters, uh, but it's going to be rejected by uh, the Shooters and Fishers Party. So I guess in saying that, quickly, let's jump on to the Facebook page, Australian Hunting Podcast. You can jump on our Twitter page, AH Podcast. You can also uh, send us an email. I'd love to hear from you guys at AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com. Rate, subscribe, five stars on iTunes. That's the best way to find out about the podcast. I am in the process right now of making up an Australian Hunting Podcast webpage. I think it's time. It's moving up to, you know, like over the last couple of weeks, we've had almost a thousand listens every week, uh, especially when we release a podcast. It's just blowing off the charts. So thanks to all you guys that love listening to what not only I have to say, but the get the, the uh, guests that I've got on the show have to say. And if you've got any ideas that you'd like to put forward, guests or anything like that, I'd love to hear from you at AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com. So I guess uh, without saying that, uh, let's let, let's get into this interview with Mr. Robert Borzak because he is going to drop some knowledge. Uh, you can listen to the interview. Uh, it's going to be great. So I guess in saying that, uh, let's get into it and let's get into my interview with MLC. Shooters and Fishers Party, Mr. Robert Borzak. 
Hi, this is Robert Borsak from the Shooters and Fishers Party, and we're talking gun crime and how to prevent it by voting for the Shooters and Fishers Party. And you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Robert Borsak, welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. It's uh, good to have you on, and uh, you're the first person that's been on my show for the second time, so I guess it's a privilege for me and you, so thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks very much, Jason. It is a great privilege. Um, politics is a very large part of our, our life these days when it comes to hunting and shooting. Absolutely, absolutely. So all right, before we get into the questions, obviously we just played the uh, 2UE uh, interview from uh, Tim Shaw on uh, legal matters. Um, but how are we looking? Any updates you can give the listeners on anything that's happening in Parliament? How are we looking with the, the, the current government? Can you give any info? Oh, I think um, we're, we're, we've got a, our agenda. We've got... Uh, uh, on the table with the government. Uh, we've, Robert Brown's in currently preparing his uh, Game and Feral Animal Amendment Bill. Um, we're just in the process of finalising that and we're, uh, we'll be having a discussion with the government hopefully at some stage when we, after we start sitting uh, next Tuesday, the, uh, the 14th of February. Um, the reality will be that uh, we'll go and discuss this with the government and hopefully they'll see the benefit and the need to be able to work with us to get it through the system. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I'm, obviously this was about uh, the gun crime, this uh, podcast about uh, firearm, illegal, sorry, illegal firearm crime, we should say, um, recently, especially in New South Wales. Now, you were on 2UE with uh, Tim Shaw for uh, legal matters. Now, how do you feel the interview went with Tim Shaw? Do you feel it was a fair interview? I mean, a lot of people did call up, which was fantastic, uh, uh, obviously advising on firearms ownership, especially law-abiding citizens. So how, did it, how do you think it went? Straight after the interview, I... Quite often, I'm not sure how you go, but when you sit down and sort of run through your mind the questions that are being asked, it was obvious that uh, he was pushing an anti-gun agenda and pushing a control agenda. And uh, the fact that Samantha Lee just happened to be listening in at the end of it and rang in and had, of course, managed to have the last word, you've got to wonder how really independent that discussion was. Uh, in, the, in the end, I really only responded to their invitation to come on the show in response to Samantha Lee's having, I think, been on the show the week before. And uh, uh, I don't recall getting a phone call from them saying uh, that uh, she was going to be on or that I was listening in and I was prepared to come in and have the last say. But, you know, you get used to that as a shooter, mate, especially a, pol a politician, a uh, shooting politician. None of the, you, you've got to assume, except for the shooting and hunting magazines and a few other the sort of trade magazines, that uh, all of the general media are pretty much against what we're doing. Yeah, I know, it's a shame, isn't it? I, I must admit, when I listened to the interview, I my notifications on my iPhone was on, uh, uh, well, was off at the time, and I, sh I was going to call up myself, but it was, it was good that a lot of the law-abiding shooters did, you know, did call up and gave some good, uh, uh, you know, just good good ideas about, you know, who the licensed firearms owners are, and that were good people. And I especially liked the part that you said, which was, uh, uh, you know, about people being carpenters. They're just general people like you and me, and we're some of the best people. Uh, you know, walking around, even though we're firearms owners, it doesn't make us, you know, bad people. That's right, and uh, I think that that message needs to get out there a lot more. The media likes to, uh, you know, sort of put us in a box, put us in a, you know, in a portrayal of being uh, someone next to uh, next to the criminal, and that we should be treated in that fashion, and that we should be governed and ruled very harshly and control controlled and all uh, those sorts of things. That we can't take responsibility for any any or, or our own actions whatsoever. And, that's simply just not the way it should be done. And what we have to do is get out there and actually by by act and also by uh, by discussion and you know having doing interviews like that try to tell people that what the real truth is. Shooting shooting and hunting are just normal activities. 
um, and that uh, we need to be able to communicate communicate that at every possible opportunity. No, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. I mean, I've noticed you've done a lot of interviews, and I guess I'd like, on behalf of everyone, to say thanks. You know, you do a pretty good job. I think when you you know, when I, we hear you talk on there and you make, you know, good sense. So at least some, we've got someone in there that's, uh, you know, can, can you know, come up with ideas and also we're willing to go on these shows and back us up. So well, I guess that's gen- that. Generally, g- generally, Jason, we follow the policy in here, uh, certainly going right back to John Tingle's days of not necessarily wanting to respond to every knee-jerk reaction that comes out of the media. And, and you know, when you look at it, if we were to do that, um, we have... Uh, media being generated by the media themselves. We have Coalition for Gun Control generating media against us. We have the Greens generating media against us. We sometimes have the government generating media against us. If we were to sit down and respond to all of that, we just become reactionaries. And uh, you end up running around in circles and you don't actually be, uh, get an opportunity to sit down and actually work through your own agenda. And so when we do come out in the media, it's really, uh, in terms, especially when it relates to crime, uh, it's on a pretty selective basis. I mean, we work on the basis that if you come out every time there's a criminal action and we get called out uh, by someone in the media or those clowns in the Coalition for Gun Control, uh, what we're doing is we're playing to their agenda and not our own. And when you do that, ultimately, it's like any, any uh, game of football or game of rugby, especially in the code of rugby, uh, when you start get, playing the defensive game, you find it very, very difficult to... Uh, to win that game and what you have to do is develop your own game plan develop your own strategy around that plan and then get on with it so you know sometimes shooters and justifiably so too say why aren't you out there defending us well if criminals are involved in criminal activity why do we need to defend legal shooters because that's not who they are but but sometimes, as happened recently with all these drive-bys, it was important to uh, to to react in this particular way because what we wanted to do was start to put the new message out there. And the new message is uh, that what you've just mentioned that uh, people have to understand that those that aren't involved in shooting have to and and hunting have to understand that we're just ordinary citizens going about our business in the ordinary way. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, speaking of Samantha Lee from that Coalition for Gun Control, she called in after the interview. Well, whether that was planned or not, we you know obviously we, we can't say. But uh, uh, she kept on telling Tim Shaw that firearms uh, stolen are stolen from licensed shooters, and that the Crime Commission and the Institute of Criminology, so, sorry, the Institute of Criminology, back up her story. Now, what actual facts of, is she speaking of? Considering she never actually a gives any facts or figures because. On a media release we gave you gave out uh, uh, last week on uh, I think it was the first of February. Now that sort of listed uh, New South Wales firearm registry figures between 2001 and 2011 thefts rate plunged from 0.137, which is tiny anyway, uh, of registered firearms to down down to just 0.057. I mean this is as you said in this uh, media release this is one of the greatest success stories in the fight against crime. So where does she actually get these? these uh, fictitious facts and figures, or are they actually real, and, and, and does it back up her story? Well, uh, I mean, the, my, the, question, the answer to your question is, mate, I don't know. Um, as with a lot of these things that are trotted out uh, by the likes of the Coalition for Gun Control and the Greens and their complicit media, it's just accepted as fact and published. And that's why, uh, you know, it's not up to us to answer these things, because most of it probably is fiction. And I don't know what statistics she's talking about, but if you go through in a dispassionate and logical way and have a look at what's in there, very, very, very few, as quoted in that media release I put out last week, of the firearms that are stolen 
uh, come from legal sources. And anyway, those that are stolen, uh, how would they know whether they were legal or not unless they were registered? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? When he says they all started out as legal, and I'm like, even well, I was... you, you've got to you've got to you've got to listen to the weasel words being used by her. <laughs> all firearms start out as legal. Well, of course, they do. So, they're they're well, built in a factory. You know, exactly. But for, for, for the military, unless or... unless they're built in some small um, you know yeah. underground enclave in Pakistan or in the uh, in the Hindu Kush, you know, where they're usually some uh, bodgy old remake of an old. <laughs> World War Two, three oh three, but you know the reality is that uh, all firearms start their life legal uh, somewhere in the world, uh, even you know whether it's in Russia or whether it's somewhere else. So that's just uh, weasel words designed to give the impression that they've started out their life legal in Australia. Well, that's just nonsense, an absolute, and, and that is a complete fiction. The reality is they may start start legal overseas, but someone buys them breaks them down and somehow rather and or imports them whole into Australia, smuggles them. That's what they are. I mean, why is it so difficult to smuggle a firearm when these people are bringing in billions of dollars of illicit drugs every year? Bringing, a, bringing in uh, some illegal firearms would be a piece of cake, wouldn't it? That's right, and you, can, and you can send them separately in multiple different parts and probably never know the difference. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, I don't know where the rocket science and all this is. Again, it's, this gets down to uh, astroturfing from an unrepresentative group who have it as part of their social dogma uh, to remove firearms from society. It's, it all ties in with the Lee Rhiannon view of the communist world. That's what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, speaking of this coalition for gun control now, I don't really, most of the time, don't like to give them any uh, uh, time on my show, but, I mean, why is it the media always gives this uh, coalition for gun control airtime? Why are they always consulting these people that which we don't even know, which is apparently two people, and as you said before, no membership? I mean... I'm not even sure how you even get in contact with these people. There's no, I've been on the website, there's no information there. So how come the, uh, uh, I guess the media always jump on board and go, oh, we've got to consult the Coalition for Gun Control. I mean, it's the Coalition of Nobody, pretty much. I mean, it's just, as far as I'm aware, one or two lawyers that are, are running this show and obviously have some sort of uh, issue with law-abiding shooters. Now, she did say on the, she doesn't have an issue with law-abiding shooters, but it would be get, it would be good to get guns off the street. But in my point here is I said to a friend the other day, and, and, and even my friends, that these people don't even shoot, and this actually made sense. I mean, in 1996, they had, what, a buyback of how many hundreds of millions of dollars uh, worth of firearms that were, that were bought back? Probably $600 million worth. Okay, $600 million. Then we had the, what was it, 2002, if I'm correct, they did the uh, high-caliber pistol uh, buyback. Uh, you know, anything over 38 was bought back as well. I don't, I'm not, again, I'm not sure the figures of what uh, money we're talking about buyback there. Um, and now in 2012, we have a lot of people, these criminals driving around committing crimes. Now, I say to uh, uh, Samantha Lee from the Coalition of Gun Control, they, they wanted all these things to happen post-1996, all these buybacks of high calibers. But you know what I say? It's a simple common sense thing is, how's that working out for New South Wales right now? How's that working out? You wanted all this stuff. Well, I suppose from a long-arm point of view, um, there doesn't seem to be much of an issue because long arms being uh, aren't being used in any of these crimes. So, you know, you've got to say what effect was the buyback? I don't know. Uh, ineffective, probably. Who cares? But as far as these uh, drive-bys with with high-caliber pistols, 
Uh, if all of those were bought back from all legal sources, and I know myself because I lost two of my own, um, and they were destroyed, then, well, in theory, uh, Coalition for Gun Control, where are these firearms coming from? Especially if they're high calibre, big calibre as they call it. High calibre, big calibre, 40, 38 and above. Punching 44, 40 calibre, 44 calibre holes in people's houses, they, by definition, cannot be from any legal, current, known Australian or New South Wales source. Because Howard got them all in 2002. Duh! Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> unless you like some of the, some of the people doing the specific, real specific uh, firearms disciplines, yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're but not, they're, not really their valid. firearms are not, aren't being stolen. No, that's, <laughs> that's so, all common you know, sense, isn't it? Really, it's, all, it's I mean, all pretty much common sense. So, uh, from my understanding of the statistics that are floating around, um, the majority of any of the pistols that that get stolen uh, either come from the military, or they. Um, an overwhelming majority come from the military or come from private security companies. They're not being stolen from people like you and me. And if they are being stolen from people like you and me, they are not above 38 calibre. So by definition, it cannot be a legal law-abiding firearms owner as the source of these firearms that are currently being used in these drive-bys. It's as simple as that. So the whole, the whole thing is a cynical astroturfing exercise in lying and deceit. And the large parts of the media, I won't say all of the media, but large parts of the media are complicit in this agenda. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems a bit, you know, sinister times now. There was obviously, the issue about all the buybacks and everything like that now, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't make sense at all. But I don't know. I guess when I actually talk to people, you know, that aren't shooters, they they, they can understand the logic too, and say, well, you know, the the, the coalition for gun control want to ban, you know, these uh, high calibers, but now they want to ban semi-automatics. So where does it end? I mean, you had they had all these grand ideas of it stopping causing crime, but yeah, oh, well, hang on, we got rid of the high caliber stuff. Now we'll just get rid of the semi-autos because that's the problem. Then it'll be revolvers, and then, but it doesn't work. None of it works. Of course it doesn't work, and the, the, it's got nothing to do with crime. It's got all to do with social engineering and the restructuring of our society and the removal of the right to own and bear arms. We, it's, only, it's only a common law right uh, and custom in Australia. We don't have it in our constitution the way the Americans do. Okay, So we have to fight for it every day of the week. I mean, they have to fight for it too, but we have no rights when it comes to these things. You and I, you and I who like to shoot might believe we've got rights, but we don't have any rights. Everything we do is granted to us under license from the Crown. Uh, you Get your wallet out, have a look at the license. There it is. So what they're in essence saying is uh, you can't protect yourself. You, uh, If you get into a situation where you can't defend yourself... You know that under Howard's laws in 96, uh, self-defence or defence of your family is not a genuine reason. That's a shame, isn't it? It really is. No. A, you know, You're not allowed to have firearms for that purpose. That's right. That's right. So as, as I told people, if uh, you know something happens and someone gets into your place, pray, pray, pray for help to come real fast. I guess. I mean, it's not actually not a, not, not a laughing matter. I'm not laughing at that. It's just ridiculous how you know you can't defend your gift of life. It really is a shame. Well, that's right. Um, look, there is uh, in New South Wales uh, under John Tingle, he uh, he had a law passed while he was in Parliament, and that was subsequently modified and incorporated into a different act in New South Wales. But you do have a prima facie defence in New South Wales of self-defence, um, which uh, provided you believed at the time in your mind that your life and or your, your family or property was in danger, 
and you and you aren't doing it from a revenge or a point of view or attack point of view, you are allowed to use any due force to protect yourself. But that's not to say that you are allowed to breach the firearms laws in doing it. No, exactly. Good point. So, I mean, with the coalition for gun control, I mean, even though these media outlets, from your obviously experience within Parliament, are there are other agencies or other members of Parliament aware of these people's sort of antics in the in the media domain, or they're they're on board with this uh, coalition for gun control? Because it seems to me, surely they there be seems to be there should be a contingent of this the government that knows you know to be you know be a little bit be, be aware Look, of these people. Jason, there is no question at all. The only reason we saw the government. Mr. O'Farrell and the police commissioner come out the way they did publicly and say that the firearms laws did not need to be changed and that uh, nothing had could or would be done in relation to this matter because these are criminals involved was because there are two Shooters and Fishers Party members sitting in the House here with the balance of power. Okay, that's the only reason. That's the only reason. Uh, if we weren't sitting here with that balance of power, uh, we would have seen another round of anti-firearms rhetoric and head-kicking going on and the government scapegoating legal shooters for what was going on by, uh, and what was being carried out by criminals. Okay, And it's very convenient for them to use uh, mouthpieces like the Coalition for Gun Control uh, as uh, their, uh, their, their straw men who get up in the media and make all these demands, pretending to speak for the majority. Yeah, exactly. And, it takes and, the pressure off them. Exactly, pretending to be the grassroots, which of course they're not. they're not. They're not at all. There are no compelling reasons to do any of the things that they're talking about. I just wish they'd come out and say, listen, we, we just don't want guns in society. I mean, the Greens obviously uh, believe that policy too, but they know it's not realistic. But I wish they'd just come out and say, like, be up front and straightforward and say, well, no, we don't want, we don't want anyone having guns. I mean, I'd much prefer that than sit there and saying, oh, you know, crimes and innocent people, and it's just all hogwash. It's just hogwash. Well, it's, it's just part of their agenda. That's all part of their strategy. They have a strategy of, of uh, boiling the frog, and over time they take a little bit here and take a little bit there and take a little bit here and take a little bit there and... Uh, what happens every time the, t the gun laws get tightened? Um, you know, the uh, the shooters and hunters of this state just uh, continue to tie themselves into a knot and you know move around. Oh, I'm comfortable with the laws now, and then you know when the political opportunity comes along in the years to come, uh, they do it again. And oh, I can get comfortable with that until you wake up one day and find, oh, guess what? There is nothing. Oh, I've lost it all. Oh, what a shame. I mean, look. They've got the example of Barry Unsworth in 1988, and you were probably too too young to remember that. But after the Hoddle Street massacre and after the Strathfield massacre, um, you had uh, Barry uh, Barry Unsworth uh, coming out and saying, "I'm going to take all your guns off you." That's what he said, and he ran a, he ran a campaign in the run up to the 1988 election where he was going to take all our guns off us. Okay, that was his. And he, I'm just going to ban the private ownership of firearms in New South Wales. That's what he said. And he was slaughtered and lost a number of seats on the back of that. They lost some heartland seats on the back of that. So the, the strategy was changed after that. And the strategy was changed. They wrote, they wrote laws uh, in Canberra. And what they were doing was waiting for a trigger. And unfortunately, a trigger was provided in Tasmania in 1995. Okay. And that's when, uh, that's when then the then Liberal government, the coalition government, then just took the took the laws off the shelf, 
and implemented because they had everybody in the media and everybody and justifiably screaming about the tragedy of what happened at Port Arthur. Okay? And now we're living with that, but you're also living with the strategy and the strategy of a continual process of uh, chipping away at the edges slowly, slowly, slowly. Yeah, I don't know, but I also count, not counter that, but I also say too, I don't know, it's just a feeling, it seems to be a feeling in the air. I mean, obviously you're in it day to day and you know, dealing with the government, maybe my my hope is maybe too, too much hope, but I don't know, after 16 years of, you know, uh, being victimised, you know, uh, you know, being a firearm owner, I mean, obviously I wasn't doing it back, you know, 1996, but obviously, you know, a lot of the young people getting on board now are dealing with, you know, what happened 16 years ago, I don't know, but there seems to be a freshness in the air, I don't know, there's been a few articles that have been written by, you know, like the, especially the the Melbourne, you know, down in Melbourne, uh, was it Sewell's Creek, I'm not sure if I got that correct, but uh, the, the, you know, the, the firearms outweigh people that live there, and somehow the Coalition Gun Control tried to uh, correlate that with the uh, firearm crime in Melbourne, now, there was a follow-up, and I actually don't have his details here, but one of the one of the editors there rode up and just blasted uh, Samantha Lee out the door with uh, you know quotes and 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 everything. And it was fantastic. And I'm just thinking, maybe it's time. Maybe this is it. This is the going to be the in the next maybe five. Hopefully, in the next five or ten years, you know, the laws will change and we will see you know uh, firearms ownership. We may we may never see it to be you know what it was pre 1996, but to say that maybe there's change in the air. I don't know. I'm just I'm not sure if it's just my feeling, but I have heard it from a lot of people. People are getting positive. Oh, look, I think things are more positive now, um, but that's only because we are, or we are, when I say we are, I'm not just talking about the Shooters and Fishers Party, but we as a shooters movement are a lot more positive. We're a lot more proactive. We have got an infusion of young blood coming into the system, people like yourself, Jason, I mean, um, in there talking exploring, discussing, and sending the message out. I mean, the big thing that we've got going for us now, which was only in its extreme infancy in 95, 96, is that we are no longer limited to the the media, okay? The general media out there, the TV stations and the print media, the paid media for our communication. We can now take full advantage of the products that are available to us on the internet. Um, good old-fashioned websites, and I call them old-fashioned now, all the social media that's available to us out there. I mean, when I look at it, we, we in our party, uh, we communicate through the web, we, we communicate through in, the internet, um, you know, with our, sorry, with our website portal, we have a Facebook page, we uh, Twitter, we're getting followed by uh, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, in Twitter these days. Um, we also um, have a YouTube uh, channel and so on and so on and so on it goes. So if I want to get the message out there, um, and I'll give you an example. During the last state election campaign, we probably put out the best part of a hundred media releases. Now, I don't think even one of those media releases got any sort of run. Uh, maybe one or two in the, in the Sydney-based media. Because if it's not sensationalism as it relates to us, then they simply won't run it. Okay, and that's really we're not, they're treating us on the basis of what they would call news news value or newsworthy, but really what they're treating us is as a freak show. Okay, if they can get a, an angle on us, it's, it's like they they did something to me last week again. Uh, we're, we're looking for any opportunity to run a picture of me with one of the elephants I've shot. And so the story is stupid, the story is ridiculous. Uh, it's supposed to have been run by some uh, investigative reporter. 
But in the end of the day, the idea is to try to get the shock value out there. And because I'm a politician, I'm of interest, and that's valid. I don't have a problem with that. But to actually sit down and take on and understand our side of the argument, that will never happen. Not in that, not in the, in that general run of the mill media. That's the way it is. So we have to we have to work outside of that, and that's what we're doing. And that's why we're we're putting a steady stream of stuff out based on our. Uh, legislative agenda and our, our wish list of things that we'd like to achieve in the next three years. Exactly, and everyone's on the internet these days. I mean, I think it's I think it's actually good for shooting. There's so many people out there. There's so many people, you know, giving their opinions. And you know, if you need to get something out there, especially what I've noticed too with a lot of the news articles that come out that you can either vote on or comment on. I mean, I mean, we're just wiping the floor. I mean, I send it out on my page. I send it out on emails, and we're just wiping the floor with um, you know commenters on these. Uh, you know, uh, might be that depends on which media outlet puts it puts a. Uh, yeah, that's right. You know, you, it's great. You, you mentioned Tim Shaw's program the other day, and. He had three sh- shooters ring in, and believe me when I say I didn't know who they were, I still don't know who they are. They weren't G'd up in advance, and I think all three of them came on and spoke excellently and passionately uh, about what they believed and really put forward a very strong and reasonable arguments for the topics that they were raising. Now, years ago, you wouldn't have heard that. You know, Ten years ago, it would have been very hard for shooters to come out from under their stone because they were so socially put upon. But now, I think, I think the worm is turning and the thing for us is to not rest on our laurels again as we did in after 1988 and go to sleep again and say, oh, well, we've won this fight. Um, one, of, one very experienced politician told me uh, six months ago in this place, he said, Robert, he said, politics, especially as it relates to you blokes, is forever. As soon as you stop fighting, in other words, you're losing. Exactly. I've always said that to people, you know, they, I mean, people don't realize too, like, and I had a, I think you read and you sent me an email on regards to my, uh, and I didn't think I was going to get a response from David Shoebridge from the Greens. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's almost at what it was pre-1996 with the, you know, firearms are up by 11%, if I'm correct in the, the quoting what they quoted in the media, uh, you know, everyone, you know, people are getting into the sport, they're loving it. I mean, it's almost what it was pre nineteen ninety six, and I hope right. it keeps going and it keeps punching forward. And when it gets up to like, you know, you know, what I think is one hundred ninety something thousand, I'm gonna, in ten, maybe twenty years, it might get to two hundred and fifty thousand. I don't know, but that's going to be great. I mean, well, there, there is no reason at all, if if things are handled in the right fashion and people observe the law. There is absolutely no reason at all why that should not be the case. I mean, if you actually look at the statistics on a per capita basis and the population growth in New South Wales, just standing still and people doing everything they're normally doing would see the number of licensed shooters increase to that level. So there's an increase going on. What the opposition to us want to do, they want to do the opposite. They want to suppress it and close it down. And that's not gonna that's not gonna happen while while we've got any political say in the processes. Exactly. No, good point. I just think it's great. I mean, I, you know, what are they going to say when you know two hundred and fifty plus, maybe more? Who knows where it will end? But you know, it's 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 in ten in, in the last fifteen sixteen years, it's it's popped its its head up again. I think it's going to keep going forward. And I mean, that's a beautiful thing. It really is. So, all right, let's get on to the next one. I've got a good one for you, too. Now, the Coalition for Women in Shooting and Hunting produced a document which stated that the firearms registry possibly could have an 80% error rate in its records. Now, one, I guess the one question is, why are we still persisting with this money-wasting bungle, which does nothing to reduce crime? Because, uh, you know, as you're aware, you know, New Zealand got rid of their uh, firearm, long-arm firearm registry, you know, back in the you know, mid-'80s. And Canada, as I'm aware, probably in the next two weeks, uh, they're doing their final reading now on uh, getting rid of their long-arm registry. 
So, I mean, these are Western civilized countries. Uh, uh, you know, uh, New Zealand's just across the pond from us. They don't realize they see zero value in it and taking money away from resources like, you know, education, all that sort of, you know, even the medical, the hospitals. Why are we wasting hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars on this? I think, um, I think in New South Wales, no, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I think in New South Wales, the firearms registry is probably costing something like $50 million a year or up to $50 million a year. Um, the, uh, and, that, and, and if you brought in a, cost, a proper costing for the time of police in policing legal firearms owners and all the inspections, for example, that they do on a, on a regular basis, you know, who would know what the real number of the real cost to our society is? If that number was spent, if that money was spent on hospitals or even, you know, more police working on crime, uh, our society would be a hell of a lot better off. I don't believe that we need a long arms registry in New South Wales. Uh, I don't believe we need one anywhere in Australia. And my view, our view, our party's view is that the long arms registry uh, should be abolished in New South Wales. Now, the, as far as pistols are concerned, I think they're a special case. Uh, they were a special case and they've always been registered and controlled very closely and I think that should continue. But as far as the long arms registry is concerned, I just don't see that it serves any purpose anymore. I just don't see it. You know, no, knowing, knowing that I have uh, a, uh, a uh, uh, 17 cal air rifle in, uh, registered to my name, what does that prove? What crime is that stopping? And I just knowing that I've got a bucks. twenty. That's right. <laughs> knowing that I've got a twenty-two, you know, uh, go, going to the um, to the police firearms registry and asking for permission to acquire a firearm. I mean, <laughs> how, how bloody ridiculous! How funny, Rob. Don't forget. I mean, the criminals are using those little one seventy-sevens and twenty-two air rifles these days in drive-bys. Don't forget. Oh right? yeah, that's right. They're a, they're a huge criminal yeah. burden on society. <laughs> uh, you know, and e and even my my 270 uh, Winchester Model 70 hunting rifle that that that's very often used in criminal yeah. activity. Yeah. Those, those bold action used all, those bold for. action rifles. Watch out for them. That's right. <laughs> or uh, you know, my my 310 Martini Cadet. You know, that, that needs to be controlled very closely because it's a major risk to society. <laughs> I mean, they want to get real. I know. I, I just bought a uh, 22 air rifle. I had to pay the 30 bucks. And actually, surprisingly, as I said, I, I can never speak ill of the registry. They've always been, you know, if I've always called them up, they've been, you know, and no doubt they're working, I mean, under, you know, working for the government. They're probably working out of competing. Oh, but look, the people yeah. that work at the registry are all good people. They're all nice people. This is not a personalised issue. Uh, they, they do the best they can do under the circumstances and given the difficult and complicated laws and, and regulations that they're being served up to them by the parliament. The reality is that the whole thing is uh, ill-conceived, misconceived, and we've probably spent the best part in the last 16 years nationwide of, of, of a billion dollars tracking firearms that, uh, that people, they say they need to know where they are, but the question is why? Why do you need to know where they are? We've demonstrated that criminal activity isn't why these need to be controlled. So what, is there another agenda? Yes, the agenda of the Greens and the agenda of the Coalition for Gun Control. And their agenda is society change. Okay, that's what it's all about. What they want to do is see the, the, uh, the, the right, or in our society, the privilege of owning firearms removed from us all. And that's what the one, as far as I'm concerned, one of the underpinning features of a democratic society, the right to bear arms, even licensed. 
that is an underpinning right, as uh, uh, almost as important as the right to free speech and protection of the media. Exactly. I mean, it's funny that too when we talk about like inspections as well, because you know I had a friend who just recently got his license, probably a year, year and a half ago, something like that, and I mean. In um, you know, he's never done anything wrong in his previous when he was a young fella or anything. He just he, you know, I got sort of got him into it, and um, you know, he's had actually literally two inspections in less than twelve months. Where I know some people that haven't had an inspection in you know, some people even up to five, even up to more than ten years have never the police have never come around to look at the uh, firearms. So um, that's from my hearing within the industry, and you know, that's you know, it's interesting how one person can get you know two inspections in twelve months, and then another person which has lived at the same residence for over thirty five years hasn't had one uh, one person look at him in, te- in 10 years. So, I mean, what, it doesn't prove anything. I mean, either that or their facts and figures are wrong. Well, I think their records are a mess. Um, the police are overburdened anyway with ordinary policing activities and uh, their time and, and resources shouldn't be wasted on nonsense like this. I mean, the reality is that uh, with, with this current spate of drive-by criminal activities going on in, in Sydney, in and around Sydney, and the police are completely at a loss as to what they can do about it. You know, they don't they don't seem to be making any headway, uh, not until very recently, on who's doing it and why they're doing it. Um, simply because you know one criminal won't dob another one in. But there are there are other ways and means of doing all of this, and the other ways and means don't include uh, victimising and attacking and wasting time and police resources on coming to your house or mine to see whether I've got a gun safe that conforms. You know, I mean, they've done a lot of work in that area, but the reality is, if my rifles are stolen, uh, I don't have any uh, self-loading firearms. How many of those are going to turn up on the streets? Very uh, involved in criminal activity. Very, 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 very few. And that's what the Institute of Criminology Statistics show, despite the uh, the, uh, the bullshit being pumped out by. Um, uh, two people in a, in a mobile phone called the Coalition for Gun Control. Uh, exactly. I just don't know maybe why the government just can't see, either they don't want to see or they just can't see the light and maybe it's just uh, they know it, maybe they possibly even know it's a black hole that we can't, they just can't get rid of due to public opinion. They, 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 uh, they are afraid of public opinion as and, and it's not public, it's not popular public opinion, it's the opinion being pushed by the majority of opinion leaders in inverted commas uh, writing in the various media in, in Australia. I could just imagine when they're sitting down there, they're looking at this, you know, the treasurer, they're looking at it going, all right, we've got a firearm that's costing us, you know, this much, and they're probably thinking, he's probably sitting there, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, behind closed doors if they're sitting there going, oh, this is a complete waste of money. <laughs> well, look, I, I, think, I think that they get stuck with it. Uh, one government inherits it from another. Uh, if they are seen to be loosening it, uh, and seen to be the operative, operative word, then um, the uh, the general mainstream media comes down on them, and you, with their fellow travellers, the Greens and the Coalition for Gun Control, they're they're I suppose if you like the conscience of uh, of uh, the anti-gun movement, who are there to try to not allow government to roll over to political pressure from people like the Shooters and Fishers Party. And the same, the same would go for Catter's, uh, Catter's activities as well too, when, if and when he gets any real influence in the Queensland Parliament. Yeah, exactly. We'll speak about that. We'll speak about that one. Um, but speaking of, uh, we, we spoke about it before early on, during the 96 and 2002 buybacks, do we have either combined or separately roughly you know, what was spent on those buybacks during the, the, after 96 long arms and then 2002 uh, high-cal pistols? I, th- I think you're looking at around about $800 million for the two of them, 
550, 600 on the, and then the um, because it was more than just buyback. Uh, people talk in in sort of shorthand terms buybacks, especially in the '96 buyback arrangement. There's a lot more went on in that in that arrangement. That was they also bought out um, dealers, uh, shut down businesses. They spent the money on any on any and all possibilities for taking firearms and reducing the firearms trade as they possibly could. Um, and the same went for the uh, the pistol side of things in 2002. Yeah, it's a shame. You wonder how much it really... I mean, obviously, we don't know the figures. You wonder how many... Uh, it's crazy how much it's just even to think what it could be. So just... Well, look, New Zealand and Canada... I mean, Canada's looking at it at the moment, um, abolishing the long arms registry. It's a particular failure over there. New Zealand woke up to it a long time ago that there, there's nothing to be gained in doing all of this. Um, and uh, But Australia persists with it because... We've got a very long history now in Australia of basically um, left-wing thinking in these areas. And, uh, uh, you know, the, at Sydney University and uh, Dr. Simon Chapman, uh, defi- you know, they, they, they've defined it very cleverly. They define uh, what we do as a, and firearms ownership as a public health issue. That's how they get legitimacy. And they spend taxpayers' money on that argument. And I think I even heard Samantha Lee uh, mouthing that uh, particular argument uh, at the tail end of that interview I did with Tim Shaw, that uh, you know you can you can you can basically put all the arguments you want, but in the end of the day, you people are a health risk. Funny, yeah, funny how they never say she never comes up with any well, that, I, that I've ever read since I've been looking at sort of you know stuff that comes up from them. You know, uh, what, what actually ideas does she actually have to reduce firearm crime? And that'd be nice, you know. They're not interested in ideas. They're not interested in logical argument, okay? They're interested in the reshaping and uh, restructuring of society. It gets down to that, okay? And, and, and perhaps for some of the female members of, this, of that ilk, and I don't know whether this applies to uh, Ms. Lee or not, uh, a lot of them are, uh, you know... Um, post-feminist socialists who um, don't like the idea of uh, the atavistic and uh, you know uh, activities of males in the hunting and shooting and fishing side of things. They say it's simply anathema to what they believe the role of a male in a post-feminist society should be. Okay, well, we now, should go to work un- and earn the price, shouldn't we? We should go to work, come home, and <laughs> well, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know and understand, and I neither do I want to un- understand the detail of what their position is. All I know is that uh, what we need to do is uh, um, argue as hard and, and long as we possibly can, uh, and gain as much political influence as we possibly can, because the, the blunt instrument that shooters have got in this state is uh, the two shooters and fishers party guys as I said earlier, sitting on the cross benches, and we have to make sure that we maintain that influence and grow it. It's as simple as that. I mean, look at look at the damage the Greens are wrought to our society now from Canberra, uh, especially from our, on our economic base. Look at the money that's being wasted on alternate energy uh, solutions, uh, carbon taxes, etc., etc., that will be inflicted. The damage on our economy and the cost to jobs is going to be mind-boggling. And it's not going to last for one or two years. This is going to last for decades and decades and decades. It's a shame, isn't it? Sometimes I think, you know, Australia, what happened to it? You know, with these... I mean, I can understand they've got their following, the little inner inner city sipping cafe people, but, you know, there's people that are out out in the bush that some might be voting for these people too, but it mind-boggles me how they can even get a following. 
I guess they probably think the same about us too. But uh, you know, at least we're you know we we, we want to be. I just, all I want to do is most people say I just want to be left alone. I want to be left alone to go out recreational hunting. I want to go out and shoot my firearms at a range and not have anybody on my back telling me what I can and can't do if I'm doing the right thing by the law. That's well, you're that's, living, that's in, you're living in the wrong country for that now because Australia's a nanny state. New South Wales is a nanny state and. Uh, if you want to be just left alone, well, you better go to the moon. <laughs> I think you're right. All right, speaking of uh, Barry O'Farrell, uh, Rob, uh, he's trying to reduce the cap on political donations. Now, I heard this. Now, do you think this is an attempt, which, you know, my thinking is yes, uh, to sink the smaller parties, such as the SFP, from getting funding they need, especially the funding which they think we get from the, uh, you know, obviously our firearms lobby, double S, double A, et cetera? Oh, I think, look, I think it's probably a bit um, a bit egoistic to say that this is designed to get us it's not um, it's designed really to get even and get stuck into the Labor Party and as they go past they also clean us up as well um, you know we're not we're not the main players in relation to this thing um, the, the green this this is the sort of ultimate upshot of what some of the agenda that the Greens have been pushing in New South Wales for years and years and years and uh, the Labor Party, the last Labor government, uh, went forward with major changes, and and the O'Farrell government uh, amendments is just the latest instalment of that particular change in thinking when it comes to uh, political donations and also political expenditure, how much you can expend and and who can uh, spend it, and who you can raise money from. Um, the Shooters and Fishers Party, because we have a base that basically gets most of its money from uh, the associations that we uh, support or, or, or support us, not unlike the union movement, I might add, okay? Because if you think about it, uh, unions uh, were formed as groupings of individual to, to as uh, organise... Sorry, unions were formed to represent people who didn't have power by themselves but had power when they were grouped. They then in turn formed a political party. Well, that's not that far away from how the Shooters and Fishers Party was formed and how it gets its support. Um, so when, when the, uh, the, uh, the, the O'Farrell government attacks through this legislative uh, amendment, uh, the Labor Party, they, they also, by coincidence and I guess a small desire, um, managed to knock the you know, Shooters and Fishers Party around as well. And it's not just us. The Greens uh, also get it, uh, and uh, and they themselves also will cop it. But interestingly enough, um, and we haven't seen the final version of this bill yet because it's subject to a committee uh, review, which uh, we're actually going to meet next Monday, the 13th, to, have a, to prepare the final report because I'm on the committee. Um, the interesting upshot of the whole thing is that if the bill were to go through unamended in the upper house, <clears throat> the only people that would have any say at a during a political campaign, in other words, when I talk about say have have any real money that they could spend, would not be the unions because unions would not be allowed to aggregate their money. Uh, shooting clubs, WSAA, Hunter District Hunting Club, etc., etc., would not be allowed to donate to us. Uh, they also, in turn, as not-for-profit not associations, uh, would not be allowed to uh, use their money, aggregate their money from their constituents uh, to campaign as third-party campaigners. The group that would most be able to use their own money would, though, would be people with their own money, in other words, the wealthy people in our society. 
So what would happen is if you, as Jason Selms, raised you know, a couple of million dollars through your podcast, and I know you don't, you don't raise anything, basically. <laughs> I'd like but to. Let's just, you'd like to. Uh, but you were a, a, a self-made millionaire, and you had the money to spend. You would be allowed to register as a third-party campaigner in the last six months of the campaign, and you could do it before that, but that's subject to different rules. I won't get into the detail of it. You could spend up to $1.1 million advocating a vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party. But the Shooters and Fishers Party isn't allowed to raise money, nor is the SSAA New South Wales branch allowed to raise money to register as a third-party campaigner or donate money to the Shooters and Fishers Party so we can campaign in our own right. So what we're doing is, and, and so if you take that to its logical end, corporations with money, unless they're banned corporations like tobacco companies, or other individuals with great wealth, uh, and that w there are many of them who advocate some rather weird positions, as you and I both know, would be able to participate in the spending spree that occurs at every, camp every election campaign, but the political parties, um, such as ours, would not be able to. So how is that in any way, shape or form democratic? That's taking us back to the 18th century, in the earliest days of British democracy, when the only people that were allowed to be represented in Parliament were the landed gentry, and they were the only ones that were allowed to vote for anyone in Parliament. So where, where's the democracy in all of this? Where's the even playing field? It, it, prima facie, at first blush, uh, Farrell's bill says the only people that can donate money will be to political parties, will be um, registered voters, and they'll have a cap on it of $1,000. I think it's $1,000 per annum. You take that logic even further. How many shooters do you know, first of all, would even contemplate donating even $10 to a political party? right? And if they could, would have $1,000 a year to donate to a political party? Yeah, that's that's true as well. That's true. I mean, right. So, you know, the the whole the whole thing is designed, uh, first of all, to get at the um, to get at the uh, Labor Party, and as they go through the process, they sweep us up and a couple of other parties as well. Uh, exactly. Good points there. Good points. I've got a good one for you. Which I mean, obviously talking about the Greens. I mean, it must burn them that we've got. You know, it's sh shootings at its all time best at the moment. But uh, they're recommending a uh, three firearm maximum gun policy per person. Now, uh, according this is what I've heard. I don't know if this is true or not. You might know. Obviously, you'll know more than me. Uh, according to the reports, Labor won't support any such policy. But does it have any legs? And are the SFP going to be counteracting this with uh, in vigour and, and and putting an absolute stop to it? Well, I mean, I think effectively it is stopped, Jason. It's not the Labor Party aren't going to support it. The government have said they're not going to support it. Uh, Fred Nile won't support it. Um, I don't know who would. The Greens by themselves may put it up, but it won't get anywhere. Um, and it actually is a step forward for them in our direction because their their actual policy, as far as I understand it, is that uh, no one should be allowed to own any firearms. So for them to actually acknowledge the fact that we uh, should be allowed to own at least three is a tacit acknowledgement that firearms ownership is a good thing and that we should continue with it and more strength to them that we'll just continue to argue with them to the point where ultimately they may one day agree with everything we say and pigs will fly <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a good day Rob it'll be a good day 
they will, pigs will fly before that happens. <laughs> if I if I look out the window one day, and I see pigs flying like from the Simpsons with little capes and that. I I need to say, well, maybe something, maybe it's going to be a good day. So that's right. No, I, I'm, I'm, of course I'm exaggerating, but the reality is that um, that 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 little um, uh, media release that Mr. Shoebridge put out was designed to get some immediate coverage to uh, ramp up the rhetoric around the whole discussion around this criminal use of firearms and and if you think about it is uh, it's buttressing the uh, the arguments that the coalition for gun control are putting in place and it's also looking for other other opportunities to try and raise the profile and defame shooters that's what it's all about well, i think also think too from the people that i've been speaking to it's only my sort of circle but i think they're starting to get not, not, not all like the Greens and the anti-gun, anti-gun like the coalition, all these anti-gun lobbies, and they're starting to get a bit found out. You know, they're starting to be a little bit of good press. You know, they're, they're getting shut down in some media outlets. They're getting you know shut down by shooters commenting, um, voting. So I don't know. I think yeah, you know, the the all these people with common sense are starting to get the idea that you know yeah, I mean these buybacks, these you know reducing doesn't work. Purely doesn't work. I mean anyone with a an ounce of sense can realise that, you know what I mean? So well, it's it's, it's good. It, that's right. And what we have to do is continue reminding people of that. Um, in years past, you know, it was just taken as as holy writ whatever was said by these people, um, the coalition for gun control that we do another buyback or we do another, uh, you know, some some more tightening that it'll make a difference. The reality is, it has made no difference at all because, as you and I both know, it's not the law-abiding firearms owners who are, by definition, the best people in society that are doing this. Their firearms aren't getting into criminal hands. That's right. So the reality also is that these, these crims, uh, and, and you know the Coalition for Gun Control aren't far from them in their lies and deceit, uh, they are not bearing up under scrutiny at all in any way, shape or form. Yeah, it's almost even their morals. It's almost when they come out with this stuff and they sort of got no facts or figures to back it up. It's really, it really is. I mean, you really have to question not only their the the lobby that they are, but their their personal character. I mean, it's shameful. It really is shameful. Well, that's right. I agree. Shameful, with you. I, absolutely I agree. shameful. You know, like people come out and they say these things, and I'm like, well. You know, so either you've got to either think, you know, either one, they're, I mean, without sort of being too rude about it, they're either stupid or they're dishonest. So which one is it? I mean, you might be able to forgive a little bit of stupidity here and there, but if they're constantly being um, dishonest, you know. <laughs> well, it's got nothing to do, it's got nothing to do with stupidity. They're very clever. Uh, it's all to do with dishonesty. And as I say, they have a different agenda. Uh, their agenda is to disarm the, the populace. That's what it's all about. And uh, who knows where it goes from there. That's right. And the three gun policy, I've got seven. They, yeah, they're probably talking about me in that one. Restrict me to three. So I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which ones I'd even give up. But I don't want to give them up. So um, you know, we're licensed law-abiding people. But that gets into my next question, uh, Rob. I've got a good one for you. Uh, let's talk about before we got three or four questions before we finish off. But uh, Bob Catter's firearm policy last weekend, double S double A Belmont Range, Queensland. Now, now he's actually come out and said uh, wants to change possibly the uh, or to get obviously these issues through the National Firearms Agreement, and uh, that includes obviously obviously you've uh, read about it or people have sent it to you. The, the pumps and semis back on category A and B, removing C back down to B if I'm correct, and some of the D class in pump in shotguns down to. Uh, uh, a C, oh, sorry, a C, or oh, sorry, semi-autos down to a C class. Now, obviously, doing semi-auto 22s, which again, yeah, as we discussed before, you know, no one that I've ever seen has ever used a little 22, uh, whether it be bolt action or, um, uh, you know, semi-automatic uh, rifle in um, 
uh, a crime. So, what do you what do you think of the policy? You reckon this is good? What what's your what's your thoughts? Look, I, I, look we're fully supportive of the things that he's announced. Um, what uh, the difficulty will be in the detail, and uh, yeah, he, a few of the things he's picked up too are already our party's policy. In fact, large slabs of it, and that's good. That's good stuff. But getting the national agreement on firearms changed is uh, like climbing Mount Everest. All right, you have to get all the ministers lined up, and they all have to agree, and it just goes on and on and on. And you have to be realistic about it. Um, uh, we all have to work together in in the direction that he's indicating. Uh, but as I say, this is the majority of what he's saying there has been shooters and then shooters and fishers party policy for the last 16 years. All right. Exactly. Um, that, that's the reality of it. So we we think the stuff he's talking about is good. Um, uh, some bits and pieces of it are in my amendment bill at the moment that I've got in front of the parliament here. Uh, but the reality is uh, you've got to call before you can walk. And, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're fighting it on a whole lot of fronts. And uh, the licensing categories for various firearms is an important issue. But as far as I'm concerned, in New South Wales, the more important issue for us is getting more hunting land and more hunting clubs and more participation from the people in the Sydney and other urban areas in New South Wales on public land in national parks all over the state. To me, that's a much more important and much more achievable goal in the short, short to medium term. I was also thinking about too, and I know people have I've received fielded a few emails from people saying, you know, this is, you know, this is all, you know, all good in theory. I mean, obviously, he's going to need a lot of support, but. My positive in, in regards to what he's put out, and it, it might be, as you said, baby steps, which is always good in your supporting that, is to even to even come out and say we need to get semi-automatics and these types of guns back or firearms back on, you know, back into the hands of licensed shooters. I mean, even that's monumental to even, I mean, propose, I mean, as far as I'm aware, I don't know, you might be able to correct me on this too, but uh, as this is the first time, I mean, since the positivity of after 16 years of, um, you know, being, you know, in essence, licensed law-abiding citizens being blamed as, you know, or looked at as criminals or being the type of people that were at Port Arthur. I mean, I've never been there. So, I mean, to even recommend uh, this sort of thing is just, I mean, it's a, even whether it does or doesn't go through, I mean, even that's not the point of it. We hope it, obviously, we hope it does at some stage over the next, you know, years or whatever the case may be. But to even propose that, I think, is a huge win for shooters just to even get it out and say, well, you know, it's, it's time. You know, it's time to start uh, pushing these things forward. Yeah, just, it, that, that's right. And I agree with you. And I think what he's done is a good thing. Um, uh, and he gets more publicity for it than what we would. Uh, the reality is that. Uh, um, the important part of it is that it's putting these things in front of people for discussion and examination and uh, try to, uh, you know, I think that of itself has got to be a good thing, that uh, uh, it will get some discussion going rather than the uh, the shock horror rubbish that's always published in the papers or dealt with in the media. Uh, we need to sit down and actually examine the, effic the real e efficacy of these laws and the cost to our society. Can we actually afford it? You know, is it something that we should be continuing to do uh, and to run in the current fashion? But look, it's it's very, very, very difficult to uh, to um, to get any changes uh, within the national agreement. But uh, the fact that it's on the table now publicly is good, and uh, it needs to be discussed and it needs to be pushed, and uh, we'll certainly be doing that as well. Absolutely. All right. A few listener questions, uh, Rob. Uh, obviously, some ranges have got banning uh, bans um, off. Uh, sorry, banning of high-caliber firearms on ranges. Who has the uh, 
uh, say on the calibre restriction uh, on ranges, such as, you know, people are going there with their 338 Lapurs and then people, you know, the rangers are saying no. So is that is that a uh, range-made uh, order? Is that from the firearms registry or police? Well, my, no, well, my understanding is it comes from the registry and their classification through whatever means they can, fair and foul they can come up with to... Uh, somehow rather one day say that they're, they're appropriate and the next day say they're not. Uh, part of the problem is that the people that are running these ranges um, should be taking the registry on uh, at the time that they're making these, uh, these judgments because there's nothing in law uh, that allows them to do this. This is all by administrative activity and they should, be, they should be taken on and dealt with at the time that they do it. The trouble is, most, again, most shooters just, especially you know, if they're running ranges or doing other things like that, they just accept it and get around it and get on with it. And I've heard, I've heard a few stories, which uh, I won't mention uh, on the air, but uh, there's a little bit of uh, verbal coercion goes on at the time that these reclassifications are occurring, and that needs to stop as well. But uh, part of our campaign is to now start to work with the government to get these templates re-examined and have the uh, and have the, uh, the the caliber limits that are placed on these removed. Um, our view, my view, is that this is part of an ongoing uh, exercise to try to limit and then ultimately ban the use of these firearms around Australia. South Australia is still proceeding with their ban. In, in New South Wales, they've gone as far as they can do. Uh, while ever we're sitting here, they can't go any further. But uh, most of this occurred in the last three years while we were uh, under the gun, as it were. It's a terrible pun. But uh, while we didn't have any real influence with the government, uh, the old Labor government, and uh, in this last 12 months with uh, the changeover processes with the coalition government, um, these are things that have been raised with the old government and they will be raised with the new government again. Um, we want to see a complete re-examination of every range template where these bans are in place because I just simply won't accept, I don't accept that anything has changed and it applies to me personally too. I've got some large calibre firearms. I am not allowed to go to Silverdale, for example, to shoot my 458 which I've been shooting on that range since I was 21 years old. What, what has changed in society? What has changed in the law since then, even since 96, even since Roy's uh, last set of amendments, the last set of amendments I put through? And it had no Nothing's effect on changed. public safety either, really. It, I mean. it has nothing whatsoever. This is a flight of fantasy agenda being run by the gun control um, uh, bureaucrats in coordination with certain police around Australia. That's what it's all about. And uh, if, they, uh, if they can stop you shooting them on ranges, they, they therefore are working towards the removal of, a, of uh, special purpose and, genuine, uh, and or genuine reason. And ultimately they want to politically get themselves in a position then when the politics is right to be able to say, when you ask for a PTA to buy a, a Lapua or a 458, you've got no reason to own that. You've got nowhere you can shoot it. We're not going to give you a PTA. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. Why right. they? If it's if it's illegal to have, why can't they shoot this, them on the range? This is the this is the reason why. Okay, this is part of this is part of their coordinated long term strategy for the banning and control of these firearms. And it's three oh eight, and then we'll be down to twenty twos. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I've I've heard some I've heard a couple of horror stories uh, out of the uh, out of from people who've been dealing with the New South Reg, New South Wales Registry on this very issue. 
and it, we haven't forgotten about it. I will be coming back to it. But like all these things, there's so many things on the agenda. Exactly. Uh, that, that that one was uh, from uh, Steve, actually. He's 510, some of one of the forums, so thanks for that question. Uh, two more questions again, mate. A big Scotty says, the Greens are on the national... Obviously, this is probably what we actually, now that I'm looking at it, what we actually spoke about before, but the National Coalition for Gun Control, being a bit, he reckons they're being a bit proactive, and he goes, we seem to be a little bit more reactive. What can we do in the future to be more proactive? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <an> <laughs> I know, I think we just answered that anyway. Well, well, I, I was... <laughs> I, went, I, I sort of talked a lot about being not reactive, um, uh, and then when you are reactive, people say, "Well, what are you going to do to be proactive?" Um, you can't look, please re- everyone, Robbo. You can't. No, well, that's right, that's right. But it's it's, it's our job to try to please everyone. Um, I, oh, I don't know what more to say. I, I, all I can say is that uh, we're generally not reactive. Um, in this particular case, uh, we decided to come out. Um, I decided to come out and talk about these things. Uh, for the sort of reasons that we discussed earlier. And uh, we have an agenda within our party. We're working on that agenda, and I would say that that's a proactive agenda, and that agenda sits around the uh, the policies of our party relating to public land hunting, relating to uh, uh, conservation hunting, relating to uh, various amendments to the Firearms Act, uh, relating to the MACOS program, for example, which we're restoring in New South Wales, uh, shooting as a school sport will also come about about uh, soon in New South Wales, um, and a couple of other things. So there's a lot of things on the go. We're also looking very closely at uh, hopefully this year getting the um, uh, Conservation Fishing Authority up and running. Uh, the Shooters and Fishers Party is not happy with the current trust arrangements in New South Wales and the use of uh, licence fees in those trusts. Uh, we want to see that money put under the administration of uh, licensed fishing fishers themselves, much like the Game Council, which runs uh, the hunting on public land in New South Wales. Yep, just off a quick one is um, game reserves in New South Wales. Um, I just got a, I remember an email I got from someone. Is that going to be under uh, uh, Bob's uh, Federal Animal Control Act? What we're looking for is, uh, yeah, what we're looking for is um, the uh, removal of the ban uh, in the uh, POCTA, the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, there's a there's a section in there banning uh, game reserves. We're looking to have that lifted. Yep, fantastic. All right, last two, mate. We're just quick. The last one's a real quick one, but this second last one is a bit of a good one. So with Barry O'Farrell, obviously, as we spoke about several times on the email about being, uh, he's very, he's been very uh, vocal in the media. But uh, has he made it clear at all that he, he might or looking at supporting any of the uh, shooters and fishers policies or is it uh, going to be, I mean, obviously there was an issue there because um, it's a little bit close to me that, uh, you know, the public service wage issue, there was an issue with there. There was also an issue with the police one of recent too. So, I mean, obviously we've looked at his stuff and is he going to be start looking at our stuff honestly with, with, you know, getting the beer goggles off, so to speak? We, we're, not, we're not having, we don't get into any detailed discussions with O'Farrell at all. In relation to these things, um, we go along and talk to the appropriate minister at the time and ask for their support, and they'll either support us or they won't. Um, and uh, that's really what it gets down to. Um, and we look at the government's bills because, as we must, because we uh, we uh, are in the House of Review, and it's our job to review their bills. And uh, we look at them, look at those bills on their merits. And we look at those not through beer goggles, Jason. <laughs> we look, <laughs> we we try to look at them through. It's the only word I could think of. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, everything looks pretty good through a set of beer goggles. <laughs> um, we look at them uh, from the point of view of 
what's the likely uh, effect going to be on our constituents, uh, and also the uh, effect of what we believe is important to the social fabric of New South Wales. All right. All right, last one, mate. I've got a good one for you, just to lighten the situation. I always like to finish off my podcast with, you know, a bit of fun, a bit of... Uh bit of joking around so i mean obviously as a bunch of good blokes we are rob you know we're shooters we're hunters we love getting out there we love the camaraderie what do you reckon the chances are of say getting um david shoebridge or samantha lee say out to a legal license range so they might, they might be able to fill out the form and they can try shooting for a day and uh hang out with us they'll be able to hang out with new shooters getting into the sport and um you might even be able to teach them a few <laughs> safety aspects rob and get them on there and you might be able to bring along your your pictures with the elephants and that and what do you well, I, the I, I don't need to give them any pictures of elephants they're all in the on the website <laughs> but I, I can certainly supply them with a few more i've got a thousand of them <laughs> and not just elephants everything you reckon um, you can get them on or I, 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 look, I, I think I think you're taking the piss. <laughs> As you said, it was a joke. Uh, I um, we're, we're these 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 people are dogma driven. They're not. Uh, they don't have any real interest in actually accepting the logicality or the position of what we do. Um, they, they're not interested in any of that. Uh, what they're interested in doing is stopping us owning firearms because they've got a much uh, a wider and uh, uh, I suppose a darker. Um, agenda for us and uh, I just don't see uh, it would be nice to think that you know oh well if, look if I just go along and explain my, out logically to these people and show them how safe all this suddenly they're going to see the light and they're going to um, uh, they're going to come across and understand and agree with us uh, that's not the way politics works um, you know it's a bit like saying well to Genghis Khan as he's invading uh, Europe um, Look, Genghis, if we could just convince you how how good our universities in Europe are and how educated and enlightened they are, you might not come along and uh, cut us all to pieces and rape our women and destroy our, burn our towns down, show us mercy. It's the same thing, you know. It's just, it's uh, it's just they're they're on another political plane uh, to us, and uh, um, they have they have an agenda that uh, as part of it. Uh, wants the removal of firearms from private ownership. Uh, our, my personal view is that that's not a good thing for society, uh, democratic societies in general, and usually societies that are not democratic um, and don't have good uh, um, democratic credentials, like China, like Vietnam, uh, and like, you know, like a, a number of others, uh, good old-fashioned good old Soviet Russia, or good old East Germany, places like that, um, one of their features is that, is that ordinary citizens are not allowed to own or have severe restrictions around the use of and private ownership of firearms. Yeah, New Zealand's sounding more attractive, is it? Uh, you know, <laughs> no, no, New South Wales and Australia is attractive, mate. It's a good place. It is. It is. We will. Uh, I, I was. I went to the wild deer um, show, uh, wild deer and hunting show at Bendigo on the weekend, and I got up for 15 minutes. On Saturday night, and I said to them that uh, one of the things I believe is going to happen is that uh, I'd like to come back in 50 years from now because I believe the hunting and shooting opportunities in Australia and certainly in New South Wales are going to be um, spectacularly good, and uh, I think there'll be more opportunity in the future, and we're looking at a much brighter future than we've ever had before, and that's because of the hard work that we've all been doing, and and people such as yourself as well there is a, there's there's a lot of opportunities coming up uh 
there's a lot of opportunities that we're going to create in the future and the only way to do it is doing what we are doing and the sort of things you're talking about and it does me a lot of good personally to hear you say that a lot of uh, young hunters and shooters and your friends and you know, people in your circle um, are feeling that things are turning a little bit but now's not now's not the time to stop now's the time to continue to push because um, I think uh, the the greens and the, uh, the 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 social the social chardonnay set and all that people that thought that shooting and fishing and and uh, and hunting was finished are now waking up in the uh, new millennium certainly in 2012 and realizing hang on a second they're not gone they're getting bigger and better than ever absolutely I mean as we big, bigger than 96 I mean we're... that's right and they're not and they're not intellectual troglodytes uh, as they wish to portray us and they're not uh, rednecks. Um, these people actually do have uh, a good, valid social reason for doing these things, and uh, uh, they are capable of defending themselves within the political fray as best as possible. No, exactly. I said I think it's changing, Rob. I'm, I'm feeling it. A lot of people have said that. I mean, I've got a few people in the sport in the last year, and I mean they've all bought you know like two or three guns each now. So I mean, the more people, I always say to people, and this is the podcast probably to do it, get more people into the sport, as many as you can. If they're going to say three guns uh, enjoy your sport and buy as many as you want to buy and enjoy your sport and do the right thing i mean you don't be limited to buy what these greens say and uh yeah i mean i just feel it's changing especially after i mean you know even though it might not come through the bob cutter uh policy uh what he spoke about i mean just to propose that i mean it's just you know yes. it, it, get, it gets it in people's minds that this, this is it's changing i mean 16 years we've, we've been blamed for 16 years and it's time to it's time to change and it's time to get with the program and it's time to move forward from you know, these tragedies that you know, law-abiding firearms owners had nothing to do with. I was never there. My I, mean, I was 15, 14 years old at that stage. I never even, I don't think by that stage I even t- ever touched a gun by that stage. So why are well, a, me and my bit, friends being blamed? It's a, bit, it's a bit like the Catholic's original sin, mate. We're all supposed to uh, carry it around for our life, all our lives and every new shooter is supposed to feel guilty for something that they weren't involved with. It's, it's time to move on. And uh, and try to understand understand what happened. That's good, but move on and understand why we need to continue doing what we're doing. That's right. And most of all, people are love it, Rob. People are starting to love it. You know, they're getting into it. And this is great. They're trying it. And I've had people email me just off Facebook. Friends are going, oh, I see you posting stuff on Facebook. Can I come out with you? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Come out. We'll go to Cecil Park. We'll shoot some sporting clays. We'll, uh, you know, what you know, you know, we'll uh, get you out there. Get you and get the forms signed, and you can go with one of the range officers and try it. And I'll be there. And you know, you can. It's great. Well, you can't really ask for more than that. Yes, that's it. That's it. All right, so mate, this is going to be you're going to be episode 16, Rob, for uh, the Extravaganza Month. We've also got one of the American guys, Tom Knapp. Not sure if you're aware of him, but he's going to be coming on our show as well. So I think we've got by the time this podcast is all said and done, we're going to have about two podcasts uh, that are going to be an hour and a half long each one, released around the 22nd, I think, of February on the, on the Sunday, if, if I'm correct, and. Uh, just wanted to say again, you've been a legend coming. You've been on my show again. For this will be the your second time on my show, so I appreciate your you know your time today to come on the show and you've given out some good information. And hopefully, the people that listen to this podcast will see and listen to at the start of this podcast the two UE interview with uh, Tim Shaw on legal matters when uh, how well Rob uh, um, represented us as shooters on the show. And as I said, as he said, you know, if you want uh, on, honest firearms change you need to vote for the shooters fishers party i mean is there really anybody else i mean even if 
you know, look, you can't please everyone, as Robert said, but, you know, if you really honestly want to continue shooting at all, I mean, it would be good to put your differences aside and vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party and vote for change in firearm ownership. And hopefully the people of Queensland, you know, will get the information out and vote for Bob Catter. And even if he gets a few seats, I mean, it's the start of something going to be great. So... Thanks for coming on the show, Rob. You're always pleasant, mate. And uh, you didn't actually ask me on the forum. You didn't actually ask me any questions that you wanted to ask. See, there you go. No, no, <laughs> I didn't think that. But when I saw you posted that, I knew I'd get a few on there. And there was one fellow that made a rather silly comparison to me and Bob Brown, which I thought was interesting. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it wasn't. It wasn't Pinhead, was it? Or? <laughs> uh, yes, it was. <laughs> oh, that's gold. All right. Uh, no, appreciate you coming on the show, Rob. Thanks again. And uh, hopefully I probably might get you on for a third time if you're lucky sometime down the track, if I'm lucky too. I think by that stage people have heard enough from me. But anyway, thanks very much for the opportunity, Jason, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.